Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Professor Rick Horowitz on the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and you're on the record. It's a big time in all sports, and our second part of our series about the front porch of the sports business, which are the stadiums, the facilities, the teams used to maximize revenues and guarantee stability. HKS continues to talk about what their role is for fans, for revenues, for owners, etc., and we'll hear from Mike Rogers on that in a couple of minutes. But first, deal-making issues, three to one. Three. The Matildas win delivers one of the biggest TV audiences in 20 years. Australian women and their shootout against France. The 4.9 million Australians on seven, the television network. I don't know where everybody else was. By the way, Leighton Hewitt's 2005 Australian Open loss, 5.56 million. Ash Barty's win in 2022. 4.1 million, the AFL and NRL agreeing with Optus Sports to air a number of other events from an Australian perspective in stadiums. It's a great deal for them and the Women's World Cup. Two. The NFL adds the red zone to its new premium tier of NFL Plus streaming service, the Whip Round Show, available without a pay subscription. The 15 buck premium tier adds red zone, full and condensed match replays, and the All-22 Coaches film. Subscribers to both the premium and the five-buck standard plan now have access to a live stream of the NFL Network channel. The bottom line is they continue to find the sweet spot for viewers and obviously reportedly paying two to two and a half billion for the privilege. My bet is they're gonna monetize it, no doubt. One. ESPN dives deeper into sports betting through their landmark partnership, Dave Portnoy reclaims control of Barstool Sports, the company he founded, rebranding Barstool Sports Book, and the deal 10 years could extend for another decade in mutual agreement. Bob Iger says the company looking for strategic partnerships for ESPN a month ago, and here's that. Portnoy took to social media to announce the reacquisition of his brand, saying the two have gone their, quote, separate ways, giving the difficulty of betting regulations, Penn Entertainment, obviously the other direction, but this is a big deal, deal-making issue number one. But here's the other thing. All of these issues depend on one thing, stable, flexible facilities in order to generate excitement and basically a home for all of this activity. HKS, as we've said before, about a half billion dollar annual revenue firm, 1,500 architects, interior designers, scientists, artists, anthropologists, and looking at facilities like Indianapolis, AT&T, Minnesota, U.S. Bank, Globe Life, SoFi, stadiums across the pond, way across the pond, like Hokkaido. Obviously, we'll talk about that as well. Mike Rogers is a partner in the practice design area and a director in sports and entertainment, and he's had more than 34 years of experience 
designed more than 20 million square feet of master planning and building design, an array of projects all over the world, sports stadiums, corporate headquarters, hotels, commercial office buildings, theme parks, high-rise condos, medical office buildings, medical centers, specialty hospitals. Bottom line is, this is a situation, as we've said before, where people, place, planet, all of those terms important. But when you talk about specifically how this impacts the business of sports and the business of facilities as they relate to sports, Mike Rogers holds a key. Here he is now. Mike, give us some perspective on how you do what you do in the sense of your comments of design as a voice of community and the solutions empowering partnership and transformation. What makes what you do stand out in that context? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rick. This idea that we think of ourselves as inventors. So we're always looking at ways of rethinking and reinventing product and process. And, um, you know, when you think about these projects, there's a role that these sports and wellness facilities uh, can play in a city scale in terms of building healthier and more tight knit communities. And that goes for pro projects, collegiate projects, private projects and so forth. So we're always, as Sheba said, we're always looking to have our work transcend the ask. Obviously there's a problem to be solved. There's, there's uh, you know, teams to be relocated. There's, there's other things that need to go on, but because of the scale of these projects, we've always believed that they warrant a much larger responsibility to the community. It's important to give these communities a voice in the design process. I think Sheba touched on that a little bit as well. But in the end, you know, besides solving the programmatic problems and the, the site organization problems, we believe that there's a solidarity within the community that should also be a part of the strategy and the goals for making these projects successful. It's not only that, I think, and I know the world of public-private partnerships and teams' roles in them, and if you hypothetically make a presentation to an owner and you talk about designing the facility from the ROA out, ROI out, the return on investment and the revenue, not just the economic, but the community development revenue, and you have spaces that you can show that will prove that you can generate X amount more excitement, revenue, and all, it's, it's a no-brainer as far as uniqueness and setting yourself out from the rest of the crowd, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, it makes uh, back to that notion of being inventors. We're always looking for ways of leveraging the, the program that that has been put before us. You know, we're looking for gathering spaces that can be multi-purpose type spaces that will solve entry plaza uh, programs and so forth. But then they become other connectors to the community. And then we start thinking about the kinds of other programs that could be incorporated into in this case, a, a basic sports package, if you will. And you start thinking about multicultural centers and health and wellness facilities, education facilities, and understanding that education is a critical component, in our minds at least, of a healthy community. Senior living, residential, childcare, there's a number of things that can be folded in that can begin to uh, uh, afford opportunities for local businesses to partner with and again, yes, everything needs to be looked at through a return on investment, you know, the character of the space, 
the community that you're doing this within because not all of these pieces necessarily fit. But one of the other, again, just thinking outside the boundaries of a property line, one of the things that we're always very interested in is are there ways to re-knit and re-link communities? Because a lot of these large scale projects, they end up in parts of the city that have been scarred and, and evolved over the years and divided by trail rail lines and highways and waterways and so forth. So there's a number of times when we have proposed partnerships with the city to start thinking about things like land bridges that can you know connect gardens and reconnect communities that have been fractured over the years. Next time, everybody who listens needs an architect with some diverse experience. Check this one out from Rogers's bio, uh, and Mike Rogers is 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 amazing. He's done the Galaxy Arena in Macau, uh, Sapporo Vi- uh, Fighters Ballpark. We'll talk about Hokkaido in a minute. Seuss Landing at Universal Islands of Adventure. That's cool. You go to Westfield UTC Expansion Corporate and Commercial. You got thirty health projects here. Uh, big deals. Chula Vista, uh, all over the world government centers and not just sports what's the common similarities of designing all of these buildings what what do they all have in common you know it's problem solving rick i mean and and i think i think shiva mentioned it a little earlier we're extremely proactive relative to creating what we call a big room and collaborating getting great minds in the room together yes i've touched a lot of projects and i you, I would consider my portfolio extremely diverse, but it's only that because of connections to other professionals within our, within our group and being open-minded to that invention process. And the fact that, you know, not, not any one person is probably going to sit in the room and create an AT&T stadium or a Hokkaido ballpark. The notion of collaboration, which has made, you know, the whole, the whole, the COVID process and, the separating of people. I'm so excited about the possibilities and the ideas of bringing all those people back into a room because collaboration is done best when you're when you're face to face. Well, I, I want to get to the collaboration in post pandemic for a minute, but you have to answer this question for me and nobody else. What does the anthropologist and your staff do? Oh my goodness, the uh, the front end thinking and the front end research is uh is critical it sets up it sets a path for us relative to the culture the character the kind of heart and soul of the space because one of the things that i think that i'm most proud of whether it's you know the healthcare projects i've done in the past and certainly more recently the the uh the sports projects that i've been blessed to be involved with i i like to look at them and think you know u.s bank could really only work in Minneapolis. AT&T, Park, AT&T uh, Stadium is best in Arlington. SoFi Stadium makes the most sense in California, in Southern California, because of all of that front-end thinking, research, and listening and absorbing that we do of the culture, the community, and the, the people. Let's talk about two other examples. First of all, let's talk globe life. You talked about COVID recovery. And I think most people in and outside of baseball would understand that it's not just the new home for the Texas Rangers and it's not just a center for vaccine distribution and community gathering, but it's also a center 
where Major League Baseball could have picked any venue and decided to have the Dodgers and Rays COVID comeback World Series there. Great honor, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the city of Arlington, I think, are, they're still learning how to how to play with and use this new amenity. But and this is more of a commercial and retail oriented campus, if you will. It has a hotel associated with it, which is a convention hotel, retail restaurants, bars, uh, team store and museum pieces. So there are pieces that reach out into the community. But already in its young life, Arlington has begun to embrace it through things like that are very community driven, things like high school graduations. I think they had the uh, Arlington Juneteenth celebration there this year, 4th of July. They do a lot of concerts in the park. And I and we believe that they're just beginning to scratch the surface of how this particular project can engage within the community and become this beautiful asset for the for that area. And I was told by Rob Matwick, the VP of Business Affairs for the Rangers, who is a tremendous advocate of yours, that your particular design of Globe Life for the Rangers will guarantee improvement of the team by about 15 or 16 games a year. Well, uh, well, no, I guess we don't go there yet, but (laughs) they're playing better. They're playing better. They're happier. The Rangers are the center of attention. And, you know, we can't speculate on what a new ballpark really means, but it's a great story so far, don't you think? Uh, No, absolutely. I think it does a lot. You know, you think about it almost through a collegiate lens of recruiting. You know, teams are always recruiting and trying to attract talent. And a lot of times it can be the history of the team, the record of the team. You know, it's run for a pennant. There's all of those things that fold in, but, but also the home that people live in and spend a lot of their lives in as an athlete has a lot to do with it. And, and I would say that that ownership understands that as well as any. And a lot of the amenities that have been layered into and folded into that, that facility from a player standpoint, from a fan standpoint, it does a lot to attract, that's for sure. Let's talk about Hokkaido, Japanese baseball, open with a rousing success. Uh, My sense is it stands for a cross-cultural gathering, the maximization of experience for the fans uh, across cultures. Tell the story about how you put it together and how successful it's been. Yeah, this was a, 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 a incredibly exciting endeavor. It was the first new ballpark that had been built in uh, on the island of Japan in over 30 years or right at 30 years. So it was an incredible honor to be involved in that process. And one of the early design drivers, if you will, that started between our com- communication between ourselves and the owner was this idea of melding Western and Eastern baseball. Take the best of both and put these together and house that in a venue that would be expressive of that beautiful cross-culture, cross-cultural experience. And, you know, they have a very proud uh, heritage there relative to baseball and have produced some incredible players over, over the years. So there was a lot to draw from relative to their, their own culture, but as a community building component, this was a real opportunity to come in here and do some of the same things that, that Sheba and I have been talking about earlier relative to suggesting things like hotels, residential, senior living, uh, retail. But one of the most interesting things about this campus, besides all of that and the youth programs that got folded in, but it was the celebration from the ownership standpoint and you know, within our suggestions of celebrating open space. 
right? These large open outdoor spaces that create just naturally attract community. Okay. And, and then you start folding into the actual baseball experience. Some of the things that were very unique about that culture that we wanted to continue to leverage and fold in the Western experience as well as this idea of before and after game experience. They just didn't have that before. There was no place to do pre-game partying and post-game partying. And then there were no amenities typically in these venues to stay, to stay, stay afterwards and celebrate and, and be able to utilize. So that was one of the things that we pulled forward. I think another is this notion of unique concession experiences. They have a, they have a, a an area, areas within the city of Tokyo, especially, and even some of the smaller cities called Yokochos, which are very unique retail and restaurant, primarily restaurant experiences of these beautiful narrow alleyways that open up into these tiny little boutique restaurant components. Well, on the main concourse, we created an area that was basically that. And so that was extremely Japanese, but there was obviously a, a Western filter laid over that. And then, and I'd say one of the other things that we spent a lot of time talking about and a lot of time developing, again, as a marriage between East and West was this idea of a varied uh, premium product offering. And in a lot of the venues that existed prior to Hokkaido in Japan, there just wasn't, a, there wasn't any variety if there was premium product at all. And so offering a variety of different suite types on the field, behind home plate, dugouts, adjacent to the bullpens, these different components became very unique and yet very adaptable, we felt like, within that, within that culture. One more question from Mike Rogers, the practice design director for sports entertainment relates to the future and you guys way ahead of the curve. Anyway, you know, in 1919, the Spanish flu almost wiped us out. We had a million people killed. And one of the responses was to have Yankee stadium with some public dollars and infrastructure and keyed into post Spanish flu recovery, got the public money ushered in the roaring twenties make the argument that infrastructure today from Sheba's perspective, from your perspective, community development is incredibly important to help facilitate the new roaring 20s. And when you look at public-private partnerships, you can argue that what you guys do from an infrastructure perspective is more important than ever. Why don't you weigh in on that? Yeah, I, that's a very good point, Rick. And, and it goes back to that idea that I think you know, the responsible way to go into these projects and the responsible way of thinking about these projects is, as Shiva and I have been saying, outside the boundaries of what the problem that you need to solve is relative to your client, the sport, you know, the sports community or the hospitality community, whatever it is, because there's just a much bigger role that these kinds of projects can play and should play relative to the things we've talked about, community. And now you're talking about, you know, you know, physical, emotional, and social health. There's there's a variety of, of levels of health, if you will. And we just feel like the opportunity is there. We should we should take it, leverage it, and make the most of it when we have the opportunity to work on these projects. Well, Mike and HKS certainly can give us some perspective as we look at the new millennium in all aspects of sports. Let's look at the sports gaming minute. 
sports data company Infinite Athlete to sponsor Chelsea after Stake.com loses the deal. EPL objected to the Paramount deal because of concerns that it might conflict with the league's broadcasting agreements. And insurance company Allianz next on the list, Chelsea decided to go in an entirely new direction. It reportedly set its sights on an unidentified crypto company that couldn't rise to the market challenges and exited. And Stake.com, already having a strong presence in the EPL, then seemed like a suitable option. That wasn't until the fans spoke up. The league teams had already made it clear that gambling sponsorships are no longer welcome, and Chelsea had to find someone else quickly ahead of the new season. Infinite Athlete reportedly be added to the team's roster, provided the EPL agrees, paying more than 50 million euros, 63.8 million for dollars for the branding rights, and more uh, than 10 million than what Stake.com was going to pay. At your sports gaming minute, now tech. Microsoft warned sport is a prime target for widespread and opportunistic cyber attacks. They helped to protect the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar and sports high-profile huge audiences and the temporary nature make it a target. Microsoft has warned that sports organizations and major events are increasingly prime targets for cyber criminals and other malicious actors looking to steal vast amounts of valuable data or cripple vital infrastructure. Tech giant helped protect key systems, competition venues, and other environments in 2022, analyzing more than 634 million authentications during the tournament. Stadiums, a significant opportunity to cause chaos at a high-profile sporting event or steal data from tens of thousands of fans at one time, that's one of the reasons why this is very important from a tech perspective. And we talked about the expansion of a lot of these issues and HKS's role, as we heard earlier. So that's your Sports Tech Minute. Now let's talk about good sports on the heels of massive philanthropy. The Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Wings form a partnership uniting sports and philanthropy. The patch, the most visible display of a deeper alliance, including Wings players and coaches, 3,000 North Texas girls annually. Days after earning sublime praise for its philanthropy, Tony Finau, huge strides to lift and inspire youth, doing amazing stuff for so many people in Utah, in all places he's around and beyond. Fenway Sports Group partners with the United Nations to eradicate hate global summit, combat hate speech through sports. They gathered members of the sports working group in Boston, bringing together representatives from the region's professional sports teams, universities, and nonprofits. Arizona Sports and KTAR hope to host the 15th annual fundraiser for Phoenix Children's, raising more than $20.3 million to continue the good work. And then Constantino and others pledged donations to support the Smithfield Little League Little League World Series, a really big deal. State representatives and Smithfield Town Councils pledging $1,000 to the team. It's not how much, but where your heart is. And obviously, the Little League World Series, high visibility. And that's our show for the week. We'd like to thank Mike Rogers and all those at HKS to give us some really interesting perspective on global development and sports. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen, Kelly Kazir for putting this together. 
We'd like to thank you for listening and watching. And join us once again when we go off the record and on the record in $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor Rick Harl. Speak with you soon.